this is a, an interesting chapter to study. Um, as you'll see, there's, a, there's some. Uh, you'll see there's some different things going on here that that we're not going to be used to in our culture. We'll have to discuss a little bit. Uh, I, I think uh, it will. Uh, illustrate some things about the character of a few of our main characters, kind of what kind of men they were, um, and kind of help us understand a little bit about them that will help us later on as we go through the book of Second Samuel. Uh, so uh, we'll do our best with this chapter. To me, it was a little bit difficult chapter to kind of draw some things out of, but we'll, we'll try to talk about a few things, a few takeaways here, and then uh, we'll go through the chapter, and we'll continue on through Second Samuel. So uh, let's go ahead and open in prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Uh, Nathan, will you open us in prayer? Okay, somebody want to give us a review of what we studied in First Samuel a couple of weeks ago, first or Second Samuel one? What what what, what happened in Second Samuel one? Yep. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Um, David gets a report from an Amalekite who comes to his camp that Saul's dead. David asks, basically, what, how do you know that this happened? The guy said, well, you know, I was the one who did it because I came upon Saul, and he was in distress, and he asked me to kill him, and I killed him. So reward me because I wanted to give you the kingdom. And David's, David's uh, response was quite the opposite. He said, why were you not afraid to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? You shouldn't be doing that. That's not the right thing to do. And because you have done this, I'm going to take your life because you raised your hand against the Lord's anointing because you did what was wrong. And then we had that uh, at the end of the chapter, I ended with David composing the song of the bow and the sword, uh, where he honors Jonathan and Saul. And remember, uh, um, you know, we kind of talked about this in class. It, it seems like you know David would honor Jonathan. He had a wonderful relationship with Jonathan. They were best friends. They were. They loved each other like brothers. I mean, closer than brothers even. But that he would honor Saul, and he would he would praise him and acknowledge Saul as somebody worthy to be extolled in a song. I mean, it's just amazing, David's character. Um, and we're going to see a little more of that this week at the beginning of the chapter, and then we're going to see how uh, David and Saul's generals act <laughs> and, uh, behalf of their masters and see that uh, David's not, David and Saul were not surrounded by very godly men um, and see kind of what their character is this morning. So I could title this Two Kings and Two Generals because it's kind of, it's just an interesting story about what's going on with uh, two kings that show up and two generals and how they acted after the death of Saul. Uh, let's begin in Second Samuel chapter two, verses one through four. I'll need a volunteer to read. Judy, you haven't been in the class for a while, so we'll let you read. Yes. 
Now you haven't been in our class, but if you read, you get to choose a piece of candy out of our candy jar. So, you're you're in the Old Testament. The words are going to be hard. So, so David is made king of Judah. And I purposely Judah. Um, so David inquires of the Lord, and this is going to be important. We'll talk about this at the end of the lesson, uh, he inquires of the Lord, "Shall he go up to Judah?" Now, why would he go up to the cities of Judah? Why would why would he not go up to some other cities, like in Benjamin or or Reuben or someplace else? Why Judah? tribe. This is, and this is where he's been when he hasn't been hiding with the Philistines. He's been hanging out in Judah. This is where he's from. So he's going to go into the cities of Judah. Should he go up there? Lord answers yes. Okay, good. I should go up to the cities of Judah. Which city? Hebron is the answer. So Hebron is 20 find it on my map. Um, so here's Jerusalem. Here's Hebron where you can actually see it with the flag here. You can see that. Hebron is uh, the city with the highest elevation. Elevation. Yeah, this is a fortified city. This is a stronghold. This is a place where David can set up a capital for himself because attacking uphill in this time and age is a hard thing. You don't have air support. You have to go uphill. They can shoot down at you. They can throw rocks down at you. They can throw tar down at you. I mean, they can do all kinds of stuff, and it all goes downhill, and it's terribly hard to attack. You can send a boulder downhill. You can roll downhill. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. Going uphill is hard. So high cities, that's, that's, you don't want to be in the valley. You want to be up on the hill. And Hebron was, one of the, was the highest elevation city in, in Judah, so this is a great place to defend. Now, Hebron shows up a couple of times in the Old Testament significantly. I have the passage there, Genesis 13, 8. Would somebody like to read that for us? Okay, let me go ahead. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mimri, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So this is right after Lot and Abraham kind of split. And remember the story, you know, Abraham and Lot, their herdsmen started fighting over the land because there were so many of them and there wasn't enough land to support them. So, so Abram goes to Lot and says, you look and you take whatever side you want. If you go this way, I'll go that way and so on and so forth. And Lot looks and sees the fertile plain around Sodom and Gomorrah and says, I'm going to go over there. And so he does that and Abraham goes, looks the other way and says, this is where I'm going to go and God makes him the all the land you serve. This is the land I'm going to give you forever. And at, right after that, this is where he goes. Abraham goes to Hebron. So it's um, going up in this area. And Abraham comes down here to Hebron. And this is where he first settles after when he separates from Lot. 
So that's one thing you're going to place. Then Judges 120, who wants to read that for us? Your mom has to pass you the candy if you want any candy, so she doesn't know she's supposed to pass it down. Matt, I saw your hand go up. So another significant figure, Caleb. Who is Caleb again? Remind me. Your brother. Your brother has land in Israel? Okay. Somebody else is answering uh, seriously. Who is who went back? Okay, one of the 12 spies. One of the two came back with the good report, remember? And one of the two people from the 40 years of wandering who actually made it into the land, Caleb and Joshua being the two, right? So Caleb, the land that he got was Hebron. That's the city he took. And so one of these significant godly figures, these faithful men, his city was Hebron. And Caleb, of course, was from the tribe of Judah because he's dwelling in Judah. So, so Hebron has a significant history, and now David's going up there, and that's going to be his first capital city as he's king over Judah. So David goes to Hebron. He takes his two wives with him. He takes his men. They take their households. They're, they're taking everybody. Remember, why does he have his wives with him? Why does his men have their families with them? Yeah, this, remember, this is after their rescue from the Amalekites, right? The Amalekites had raided their city and taken them, and they had just rescued them. This is right after that. So they're all together right now, and their, you know, their city was ransacked and raided, probably destroyed. So they're looking for a place to go anyway. So they're taking their whole family there. So they go to Hebron to dwell there. And while he's there, David is made king. Now he's made the men of Judah come, and they make David king over Judah. And this is significant because right now only Judah is recognizing David as king. And there's a couple of reasons probably for that. We're going to talk about one of them in a second. Um, and so the men of Judah make David king. And he's reigning over just the tribe of Judah at the moment. And they inform David while he's there that the men of Jabesh Gilead buried Saul. Who are the men of Jabesh Gilead? Where did they show up before? Yeah, remember Saul's first battle was to rescue the men of Jabesh Gilead. And so Saul had rescued them, and they were, it seems like, pretty loyal to Saul because of this. In fact, they were so loyal to Saul that after the Philistines captured Saul's body and they were going to make Saul's body a trophy and hang him on the wall of their city, they went and rescued Saul's body, took it back, buried it. That's how loyal they were to Saul. So David, David gets this news that these men who were faithful and loyal to Saul, they, they rescued Saul's body. They took his body back to their town and they buried Saul's body. And we're going to see what David does with that here in verses 5 through 7. Who would like to read? Go ahead, Gabriel. So David sent messengers to the men of Jewish Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown his kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hand be strengthened and be bound, for your master Saul is and also, the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Okay, so David blesses, or blessed, I think I have blessed in there. Let me see. So I walk five feet. can't remember what I'm 
section of Jehoiliad. And the first thing he says is that you are blessed of the Lord. And again, read he blesses them. He blessed them because they showed kindness to Saul. And this, again, is David, the man who was, again, persecuted by Saul for 18 to 22 years of his life. The last 18 to 22 years, he was chased around by Saul. He was threatened by Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. He had to take refuge with the enemies of Israel for many years. All this stuff was going on, and yet David comes back and says, you guys are blessed because you showed kindness to Saul. I mean, you look at David's character, and, <laughs> you know, this would be the guy, kind of guy you wouldn't hold it against him for holding a grudge against Saul. But he's willing to show kindness to these people because they did something kind for Saul, for rescuing his body, for burying him. Um, and so he says, you're blessed of the Lord. You showed kindness to Saul. They buried Saul. And he calls, he says, you showed kindness to Saul. And it's significant here, he says, to Saul, your Lord. He recognizes that they had a, this relationship with Saul, that they recognized Saul as their Lord. David doesn't say his Lord. Um, he stopped saying that. Remember, at the end of 1 Samuel, last time he talked to Saul, he didn't call Saul his Lord anymore. Um, he, he had lost that recognition, but he still recognizes Saul as God's anointed of Israel. And then he says in verse 6, May the Lord show kindness and truth to you. So he kind of, you are blessed of the Lord, and now I'm going to say, May the Lord show kindness to you and show truth to you. And then he also says he will repay their kindness. And so not only is he kind of giving this, this kind of generic, may the Lord show you kindness, but I, he's, he makes a promise to them that he's going to show them kindness. He's going to repay them on Saul's behalf. You know, th- this is something significant. It's not just, you know, oh, you guys did good, fine, may God be kind to you, whatever. David's personally taking responsibility that you've done something kind for Saul as the king, as the Lord's anointed after the first Lord's anointed, I'm going to repay you for the kindness you've done because I think it's my responsibility because of what the kindness you've shown to Saul. So David, David's taking this seriously. You know, David really respects what they've done and really thinks that they've done the right thing by honoring Saul. So not only last week when he killed the guy who, who said that he killed Saul and said that's wrong, he's saying that these guys, by showing kindness to Saul, you're doing what's right. You're honoring God the right way here by honoring God's anointed. And I want to show you kindness because of that. I want to do what's right to you because you've done what's right before God. And he says, may their hands be strengthened. I, I think this is just kind of the idea of, you know, may you be protected, may you be strong, may you, um, you know, not face any threats from the outside. May they be valiant, you know, may they be defended here. And then he adds this thing, Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And maybe this is kind of his promise. You know, I'm the king now, so there's some authority behind what I'm saying. When I say I'm going to show you kindness, I have some authority behind this. I'm the king now. I can make these promises, and I can back them up. And that as king, I'm promising you, you supported Saul, you're Saul's friend, but now that I'm king, I I promise you, I'm going to... Keep this kindness to you. I'm going to to do what's right to you. And you don't have to worry about me turning on you because you supported Saul, but that you can trust me. I'm I'm going to back this up as the king of of Judah. Um, So David really shows his character again, that he really 
doesn't hold these grudges, but he trusts God that this is all in God's planning and timing, and these people do what's right, and David's going to honor that, and David's going to say, you know, what? It's, it's not about me, it's not about Saul, it's about what God wants. And I'm going to do what's right, no matter what my situation, what my circumstances was, I'm going to repay these people for the, doing the right thing here, which is, which is going back and rescuing Saul's body and burying it. This small token, this kind thing they did for Saul, I'm going to repay them for what's right. And, and David really shows a lot of character here in, in putting aside his past hurt and his past grievances with Saul and saying, I'm going to do what's right by these people. So I, I think it's just a really neat testimony of who David is. Now, is David perfect? Obviously not. We're going to, in this book, we're going to talk about a number of sins that he commits. But David really has a heart for God, and you can see that. And as we go on in the chapter, you'll see a number of other guys who really have problems with doing what's right sometimes. So, make sense? So let's, let's go on, because uh, now we get to the interesting part of the book and trying to figure out what's going on with uh, some of these people. Uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. New reader. Miriam, go ahead. Chef, king of Israel. So we have Ishbosheth, son of Saul. Does anybody know which son he was? Yes, but how many sons did he have that we know of? How many died with Saul? There's three that died, so this is his fourth son. Um, Ishbosheth means man of shame. That's a fun name to have, right? So there you go. When you have a kid, but you want a son, you can name him man of shame. That's a fun name for him. Um, he's king over the northern and eastern tribes. In fact, been across the river over here where, uh, um, Gilead was, because Gilead's up here, and that he may not have had a lot of influence in actually northern Israel, and that his influence started across the river. There might be a reason for that. Uh, but he was And I'm going to give you a little preview. After seven years and six months, David becomes king over all of Israel. So together, he was only king for two years, and David was king for seven years and six months. Yeah, there you go. Good answer. So let's uh, let's work our way backwards. So you have David. Um, let's do it this way. David. So he's king over Judah. 
for seven year, seven and a half years here, and then for thirty two and a half years he's king over all of Israel. Okay, because David's king about forty years. Okay, so we have Ishbosheth, something like that, right? So he has a two-year reign, and then, spoiler alert, he's going to die. So, so now you have this five, now you have this five and a half years here, and as Lynn said, somebody else is in charge. Who's in charge? Probably Philistines, yeah. Remember what happened right before this. There was that battle with the Philistines. Remember, this is where Saul dies. And so what probably has happened is the Philistines have probably overrun Israel. And Abner is the one who makes Ishbosheth king. But what Abner is probably doing for five and a half years is he's the general of the army. So he's, his responsibility is to get rid of the Philistines. They've overrun Israel. Israel's fled. Israel's scattered. So he has a job to do. He has to take care of this first before he can set up a king. So that's probably where the five and a half missing years are, is that uh, Abner's going around doing his job as general of the army, taking the army and trying to take care of the Philistines. Why isn't David doing that? Well, David doesn't have a problem with the Philistines. He's in Judah. They're not there. They're up in Israel against Saul's forces. So that's why David has the seven and a half years of reign unopposed. So Abner's probably doing battle with the Philistines, five and a half years takes, and he finally gets them under control and says, okay, now we can set up Saul's son as king. And he does that, and Ishbosheth has his glorious two-year reign. We won't get to the end of that today. That'll come next week. Um, but that's, that's probably where that is. So that's my point four there. It may have taken Ishbosheth five years to regain the northern Israel back from the Philistines, as Ishbosheth meaning reigned so that he could be set up as king. So that's probably where you're missing two and a half years, or you're missing five and a half years is. Um, let's move on, because I think that's good history for today. Okay. Second Samuel 2, 12 through 17. Who wants to read next? So this sounds fun, right? Let's have a, let's have a mortal arena contest. Abner proposes a contest. Enjoy a meet together. Now, who are Abner and Joab? Let's start with Abner. Who's Abner? Yeah, he's a general, probably Saul's cousin or uncle. 
relation of Saul. He's what's left of Saul's army. So Abner is Saul's former general. Joab is who? He's David's general. We're going to talk about exactly who he is in a second when we get down a little bit further. Um, but So they get together. They meet together by the pool of Gibeon. Um, I'm going to see if Gibeon... Um, they meet by the pool of Gibeon, which is probably some kind of reservoir there. They sat opposite each other. And so Abner proposes that the young man compete in a martial contest. And he says, let's get 24 of these guys, 12 from my side, 12 from your side, and have them fight each other. Why would he do this? He was in charge. So he says, I'm in charge. Let's find 12 guys and have them fight each other for the fun of it, right? Not exactly. This may have been something, instead of uh, them going to war and having a civil war, they might have said, let's have our 12 best men fight each other to, de- to have the outcome of this war so we don't have to fight an all-out war. He might have been proposing this to save the lives of having this gigantic, long-strung-out civil war and saying, instead of doing this, let's, let's pick out 12 champions, and whoever wins this will declare the war a victory. And that may have been what he was thinking at this point. Now, that sounds pretty good if you're most of the army, right? The, I don't have to fight a war today. Thank you. Now, if you're 12 guys that get picked to fight, not, maybe not so good. Um, but he may have been thinking to save lives, to save time, to prevent the nation of Israel from fighting amongst itself, and, and to hash this out. That, that may have been, a lot of scholars think that this is what he was trying to do here. So the results of the contest, unfortunately, is that all 24 grasped and killed each other. So there was kind of a, it's kind of a draw. They, they all died. All 24 of them died. Um, and they named the place the Field of Sharp Swords because apparently they all had sharp enough swords that they were just killing each other. Um, and because the contest didn't decide anything, a battle happened anyway. And so they didn't decide anything by this contest, and they started fighting among themselves anyway. And... Kind of the summary here, and we'll see this, it'll describe the battle a little bit further in this passage, but Abner and Israel get defeated by the, by the men of David. Now, there's, there's probably a good reason for this, too. Why could this be? Okay, that could be a reason. God might be on their side. God wants David to be king and not Ishbosheth. Why else? Just happened here. Israel's been fighting a war, and then they're coming to this, and they've already lost men. Their army's been depleted. They've been fighting for five and a half years. They're worried. David's men have been sitting around for five and a half years. They haven't fought anything. Their strongest men are left. They're well rested, well provisioned. So there's a good chance that David's men are in better shape. They have better. They're not weary. So, from a strategic standpoint, you know, David's men better shape. Now, it also could be, too, God wants David to win. He wants him to be king, so there's the spirit of that, too. But the, the physical working together. So, there you go. Um, there's... There, 
So at the end of this battle, the men of Judah are beating up on the men of Israel. And we'll see by how much later, as it describes it in the passage here. So Abner and Israel are defeated. Um, there's a very first battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel are beaten before the servants of David. So what happens next? Second Samuel 2, 18 through 23. Who wants to read next? Nathan? said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay hold on one of the young men, and take his armor for yourself. But Ashel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Ashel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Ashel fell down and died, stood still. Abner kills Ashel. You have uh, Joab, Abishai, and Ashel. And then the sons of Zariah. Who's Zariah? Don't look at your notes. I put the answer. She's the sister of David. So these are these are David's nephews. Now remember, Abner is probably the cousin of Saul. Saul was significantly older than David. So Abner is an older man, and these are young boys. You know, they're the nephews of David the sons of his sister. Now, David's sister is probably older. David, again, was the young, the eighth son of uh, Jesse. So we're guessing that his sister is older. So that Through nine, and I don't know if you remember the passage, but in that passage, this is the one where uh, David's in the cave with Saul. And remember, Saul's relieving himself, and David has a chance to kill him. And guess who it is who is encouraging David to go kill Saul? It's Abishai, his nephew. So, um, so he shows up before. Um, so. <coughs> So we're in this battle now. Abner and the Israelites are getting beaten. fixed on Abner and this like heat-seeking missile. He's going after Abner. Why would he do this? Why is he going after Abner? He wants to finish him off. Why? 
of this uh, Middle Eastern kind of formality type of thing. You know, are you Ashel? Yes, I am. You know, it's kind of an identification thing. I don't know. It, it seems kind of poetic to me um, because he kind of knows who he is. And Abner encourages him to pursue someone else. And notice what he says here. He says to take that person's armor. Pursue one of the other young men and take his armor. Why would he say take his armor? That's his trophy. Remember what happened when David killed Goliath. What did he do? He took his sword and armor and he displayed it, right? I killed Goliath. This is, this is his stuff. Here's my proof. I killed Goliath. I bested Goliath. I think Abner's saying, take one of the younger guys who you can handle, take his armor and stuff as a trophy. That's your trophy. Don't try to take mine. I, I think he's, he's seen Ashel and saying, this guy's trying to get the big dog and show off. I got Abner's stuff. I beat Abner. Look how cool I am. And he's telling him, don't do it. You don't want to take me on. I'm, I'm, I'm too big for you. And he's giving him a warning. Go, go after one of the younger guys. Don't come after me. You're not going to... It's not going to end well for you. And Abner, you know, he, he's, he's an older guy, so I think you know, he might be slower just because he's older. But the older guys are crafty. The older guys are smart. The older guys are strong. He's been, Abner's been through a lot of battles. Despite the fact he's, you know, he's fought for Saul and been on the wrong side of things, he's, 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 he's a strategist. He, he knows how to fight. Right? He's been fighting for Saul for 30 years. And so he's, he's warning him to take someone else's armor, take someone else's trophy. You're not going to get mine. You're, you're going to regret doing this. And Ashel doesn't turn away. He keeps following him. So Abner warns him a second side. Why, why should I kill you? Stop following me. Why, why am I going to say to your brother Job if I have to kill you? You know, he's putting it on him. Stop following me because if you know it, I'm going to have to kill you. And I'm going to have to answer to your brother Job. 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 Joab. <laughs> you know what I was saying. Um, and so. The commentator said the blunt end of the spear might not have been completely blunt because a lot of times they would you know, stick their spear in the ground, so they may have sharpened it some to get it in the ground better, so it may have been somewhat pointed. Um, and what they think may have happened is as he's running, he purposely thrust it backwards to get him. Again, this would be, Abner would have been smart enough to do this. He survived battles. He knows how to fight. And so he may have, he gave his two warnings and said, don't stop following me. Follow someone else. Go after someone else. And after the two warnings, like, that's enough. I'm not taking matters in my own hands. So he may have, he may have purposely struck him. And killed them. This wasn't. I don't think this was an accidental thing on Abner's part. I think he's he's he gave him the two warnings and okay. You were warned. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you. And he took a quick strike backwards when he knew he could do it and killed him. So he struck him with the blunt end of the spear, and Ashael dies on the spot. And Many they, they came, many people came and saw this and witnessed this and saw where he died, and they just stood still. They were just shocked at, at this event. Um, some people said they may have stopped just to kind of mourn or honor Ashel because they, they were just surprised that this even happened. Um, and so, so this, this is what happens. A, a nephew of David is killed here. Um, 
Let's read on because I want to get to a few more things here. Uh, 2 Samuel 2, 24 through 26. Jana. And Abishai pursue Abner. This makes sense. Joab and Abishai would not be happy if their brother was killed by Abner. So they take matters in their own hands. They pursue him and they catch up to Abner. And Abner stops and he takes a stand. Joab, and he stands there, and the children of Benjamin stand with him. It says that the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on the top of the hill. Now, why would the children of Benjamin stand with Abner? Yeah, which is where Abner came from because he's a relative of Saul, so that's his tribe. It's his people. Again, that, so they, they're standing with him. They came as a unit, so they're, they're coming together as one. They're standing with him. And again, notice they're at the top of a hill. What's significance about the top of the hill? It's defensible. So, so he's in a good position. It, uh, I don't know how many of you watch Star Wars movies, but um, the thing that popped into my head was Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin fighting, and Obi-Wan at the end of their fight is, Anakin, I have the high ground. It's over. You know, Abner might be up here. I High ground. Um, you know, he's making a stand on the top of a hill. It's impossible to take the top of a hill. It's been done in history, but it's a better defensible position. So he's at the top of the hill, um, and he calls out to Joab, and he, he makes three arguments here. He says, shall the sword devour forever? Um, are we going to keep up this fight forever? Are we going to keep fighting? You know, how many people, kind of the, how many people have to die over this? I, I think it, it seems like Abner really didn't want to kill Ashel. I mean, he warned him twice to go pursue somebody else. He really didn't want to do it. Uh, you know, he, he knew he'd have to talk to Joab about it. It seems like he respects Joab. Um, I, I, I think that he actually, at some point in time, actually fought with Joab, and they were in Saul's army together for a while when David was in good standing. Um, so the sword depart forever. So he respects Joab. He doesn't want to have to deal with this. He doesn't want to kill more people. Second, you know that it will be bitter in the later end. And kind of the idea is it's only going to get worse if we keep doing this. If we keep fighting, the more people are just going to die. It's only going to get worse. We should keep this up. We need to stop fighting about this. And then how long will it be until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And, and the kind of the idea is should Israel keep fighting with each other? We're, we're brothers. We're, we're Israelites. You know, we have enemies around us. We have the Philistines. We have the Amalekites. We have all these different enemies. Why are we fighting each other? Um, you know, it, he doesn't go back to that. He kind of started it with their little contest thing. 
But, you know, now he's like, we, should, we need to stop doing this. Um, and so he, he, Joab and Abishai catch up, and he makes this plea to them. You know, we need to stop the hostilities. We need to stop the fighting. This isn't getting anywhere. We're not doing any good. We're not helping our countrymen. We're not helping anything out. Let's just stop. Let's call a truce here. Second Samuel 2, 27 through 32. Joanna. So last point here, Joab relents from pursuing Abner. And here, Joab answers Abner, unless Abner spoke fighting. I think that's kind of the idea of what he's saying here, pursuing their brethren. Um, surely by morning all the people have given up pursuing their brethren, that they would have kept pursuing them all night unless uh, Abner spoke up. Uh, so that's kind of the idea that he would have kept pursuing. And so he ends the pursuit. He listens to Abner's reasoning. Now, we're going to find out Joab doesn't forget this incident. Um, he, he doesn't uh, forgive Abner for what he's done. And uh, they're just, uh, to Joab's mind, there's still consequences for what Abner's done. And he's going to take matters in his own hands much later and against David's wishes even. So uh, Joab doesn't, is not a forgiving person. Joab's not a merciful person. And he, he may be letting this go right now, but he doesn't really let it go. So, so Joab ends the pursuit, but he does, he's not letting the matter rest. Um, so Joab and Abner return respectively to their places. Joab loses 20 men in the whole battle, 19 plus his brother, Abner loses 360 men. So you can see that Israel took uh, much greater uh, losses in this battle. Um, And then it tells us about how Ashael was uh, buried in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And, of course, Bethlehem is the city of of David. At least that's what it's known as now. The house of bread, literally in the Hebrew. Um, And... Then Joab and his men went back to Hebron where David was. Now, interesting in all this, it doesn't say that either David or Ishbosheth actually commanded anybody to do any fighting over this. This seems to be Joab and Abner's own private little battle. Um, I don't know that either king really went out and said, hey, you got to stop this other guy. Um, this seems to be like Joab and Abner said, we got to do this so we can figure out who's supposed to be over Israel here. And the kings didn't seem to, to put their signature on this battle. Yeah, go ahead and do this. This seems to be the general's idea of this is what we need to do. So 
Um, these two guys, there's, you're going to see a lot of conflict with them. They do a lot of conniving, a lot of killing. These two guys are not godly men. And it's interesting with David being a man after God's own heart, he seems to surround himself at times with men who do not love God or seek to do what God wants to do. So, um, interesting in David's life. Takeaways. I got both these about David, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about maybe Abner and Joab a little bit, but I'm not sure exactly what we can draw from their lives just from this story here. But uh, David, David rewards the men of Jabesh Gilead for their kindness to Saul. Instead of further holding a grudge against Saul, he seeks to bless those who do what is right, even when they previously supported the man who was trying to kill him. So I, I think that's significant again. Um, it just goes on. It's kind of similar to what we talked about last week, that David's character, um, just that I, th- I think it shows his knowledge of who God is, that um, God's in control of the situation, that God is gonna make, if God's going to make David king, he's going to do it in his own way, and David doesn't have to hold a grudge. He doesn't have to show any vengeance against anybody. He just needs to trust God and his faithfulness, and that he can reward people for doing what's right, even if it's to somebody who was against him, even if it was somebody who was hurtful towards him, even if it was to somebody who persecuted him, that if these people did what's right, that he can show kindness and, and bless them and reward them for what they've done. And it's just an idea that we don't have to seek vengeance on people. We, we can show kindness towards people even even if they've given us problems in our life, even if they've hurt us, even if they've done bad things to us, that we're still required by God to show them kindness and show them love and show them caring. And we ought to take that as an example that, you know, God did the same thing to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that, um, you know, the Bible says, scarcely for a righteous man would would one die. Maybe for a good man would someone die, but while we... um, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, we didn't do anything that we deserved God's love for us. And yet God showed his love for us. So um, we need to, to live by that example. Um, then secondly there, David seeks the Lord for guidance on whether or not to go and become the king. Even after Saul's dead, even after David knows that God's fulfilling what he told to him, David goes and says, hey, God, should I go up to, to the cities of Judah? Which city should I go to? Do you want me to be king right now? What's your will? Um, even though he knew God's promise to give him the kingdom of Saul, David does not presume to move without God's guidance. His desire is to seek God's will and work with him what God wants him to do. Now, um, I'm not suggesting that any of us pray to God and wait for God to audibly answer us and tell us what to do, but we ought to be seeking God's will through his word. Um, we ought to be knowing what God wants in our life that way. Um, and then, you know, when we have situations where, you know, something may not be covered by God's word, that we're seeking godly counsel from people, that we're looking at wisdom's sake and trying to see what God's wisdom tells us and, and knowing what to do and seeking what God would want us to do in our lives. We ought to be, that ought to be like our main thing. So what does God want me to do in this? Not what I want to do, not what's most convenient for me, not... Uh, what's best for my situation, but what does God want me to do? And I think that's what David's trying to do here. I don't think he's presuming that. Okay, now that Saul's dead, I should just go on up to Jerusalem and pronounce myself king and make myself king. I'm gonna, he's going to check with God and see, what, what do you want me to do now, God? What's your will for me? 
do you want me to go up to the cities of Judah or not? Yes, I do. Okay. Where do you want me to go? What, how do you want me to start this? We'll go up to Hebron. Okay, I'll go to Hebron. I'll do that. Okay, you made me king over Judah. Now what? Now wait seven and a half years. I gotta, I'm going to work out the situation for you, but you've got to wait. Okay. And David's content to wait until that situation is worked out. And, you know, David, David's just, again, like I said, David's not perfect. He makes mistakes. He sins against God. He does what's wrong. But he's, you can see in his life how he's just patiently waiting on God's will in his life. Um, not forcing the issue, not trying to take matters into his own hands, but trusting God for the situation. And um, it's a good example for us. So any thoughts on those two things? Um, and like I said, I, I, I struggle with this, this whole thing with Abner and Joab. Um, I, I think that's probably true that Abner tried, uh, proposed this contest here to try to save bloodshed and try to solve an issue that he thought was there, that the two kings had to fight out for their kingdom or whatever. Um, to me, and, and maybe it's because we don't do this kind of thing anymore, it seems kind of barbaric <laughs> to say U12 fight U12 and you know, whoever lives wins. Um, so, so I kind of go both ways on it, but you look at Abner, the way he lives, and you look at Joab and the way he lives, and these are both very bloodthirsty guys. They're very, they, they kill when they want to kill. They kill for their own purposes. They kill for their own advancement. Um, and I just, I just don't think that they're really seeking what God wants in their lives or, or what God wants for his kingdom and stuff. Um, and so as we, as we read through this and we see Abner and Joab and the things that they do, that, that we're going to look at them and probably say, these guys are not examples of how we want to act and, and believe. And as um, you know, Corinthians tells us that the stories we have in the Old Testament are examples to us you know, a lot of the examples God gave us for Israel is like, here's what Israel did, don't do that. And these guys, I think, are set here maybe to say, hey, look, there's some ungodly men in the Bible that did some ungodly things. Don't be like them. You were going to say something, Gabriel? Yes. I don't know. That's a good question. They may have only lost eight more guys. I mean, that's, that's pretty miraculous in itself. But, it, you know, it's, I mean, to me, like, giving the disregard of, like, saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to let you 12 die. Go ahead, do 12. And, and these would be their champions because they'd be, like, if this was, if this was what they were fighting for, that we're going to fight for the, the result of this war, 12 against 12, you're going to put your 12 best guys out there. So you're saying... You 12 mighty warriors go out there and die for us. It's, it's like this whole disregard for people's lives. It, yeah. That might have been what he had left, yeah. And he might have. He might have seen no option. Like, boy, I'm outmatched here. Maybe I can, you know, maybe I can get away with this and get lucky and, and win this and not have to fight the battle. And, um, you know, that's, it might have been him being strategically smart and hoping Joab would agree to this. And, 
you know, he maybe pulls off a miracle here and wins. So, so maybe, maybe Abner's actually being a very smart strategic guy knowing after 30 years of fighting that he's just outmatched at this point. Um, you know, but it, we'll, we'll see Abner, Abner changes his loyalties and stuff and just is not, still not a very good guy. But, um, again, I, I just, you, you look at these guys and you think, with somebody like David around, you think some of this godliness has to rub off on some of these guys. And Joab is just terrible. I mean, he's just an awful guy. And Abner just, Abner was under Saul, so maybe you can't blame him for, for as much because he, he learned from Saul. So <laughs> you can't, what could you expect from that? You know, he was, he was Saul's general. I don't know. It, it, we'll see a lot of this and we'll be going, why are you guys doing this? This is so wrong. And you're supposed to be God's people, and you're supposed to be God's nation, and you guys are just acting terrible. You're acting like heathens, and that's what they do. Um, Judy, your hand was up. Yeah. And, and that could be. Um, there might have been more of that going on than uh, what we think of, that you had champions fighting each other for the battle. And, and, and that, that might have been more normal than we think of. And we just don't see it a lot because it doesn't come up a lot in, in the stories and stuff like that. Um, I didn't even think of that, but that's a, that's a very good point, that this could have been a more normal occurrence that Abner says, hey, look, let's do a David and Goliath thing. You pick your 12, I'll pick my 12, and we'll see. And you were going to say something? I have a question. How do you know Zulia? Zulia, was the spirit? Where did you find that? That's interesting. Um, I, I think it's uh, historical. I found it in a number of commentaries. Okay. Um, so other people smarter than me have done research, and I pulled out of their research. But it's, it's fairly common in the commentaries. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't see it anywhere in the scriptures, but it's it's MacArthur. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, there's historical sources that. Are, what's that? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, but it's it's fairly. I mean, it was all over the place, and it's um, most of the conservative commentaries I was looking at stuff that have. Said this is this is it's not like it's possible. They were all saying it is the sister of David. So I'm like, oh, yep, yep. And we would think with eight, eight brothers that there's a good probability that there's some sisters there too, because the likelihood of somebody just having eight boys and no girls is pretty low. <laughs> so. Um, and and the idea of uh, again people. Or relatives in your army and leading your army is probably good because you figure you have a better loyalty there than putting some stranger in and saying, "Here, take take lead my army," and then the guy turns on you and kills you and says, "I'm the king now." Where your family, you hope we're going to be a little more loyal to you. <laughs> that doesn't always happen. We yeah. we've seen we've seen like was it the son of uh, um, Gideon who uh, killed all his brothers off or whatever, his seventy brothers and. So you didn't have it. So you, you do see that kind of stuff happening, but 
You see, you see uh, Saul again, his cousin Abner is his general. In these times, so. Anyway, um, that's about all I got. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Matthew, will you close this prayer?